Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to the Baseball America podcast, the first in-house podcast of the new year, along with Will Lingo. I am John Manuel. I am John Manuel. Welcome in, Will. Trying out a new setting in an actual office instead of in the uh, podcast nook. That's right. We're, we're basically broadcasting from the corridor of power, as we call it here in the office. Or not, at least I call it the corridor of power. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but we'll, we'll give it a try. Yeah, we'll see what works and uh, try out the, the... Any time you can make a class reference, however uh, very uh, rare and uh, obtuse it is, uh, I'll try to make it. So thanks for downloading the podcast at BaseballAmerica.com or at iTunes. And uh, we're here to talk a little uh, American League East prospects uh, and talk a little prospect handbook. Well, the prospect handbook is done. We did not do too many podcasts in the fall <laughs> as we were slightly busy for the Almanac. We didn't do much of anything other than New baby. the uh, prospect handbook for the last month. Pretty much. But uh, I think as we do this podcast, the book is probably being bound. It was supposed to be on the uh, press yesterday. That's exciting. Hopefully it will be bound and shipped by early next week, which... Uh, if you're listening, would be like the 14th or so. So hopefully by January 15th or thereabouts, it will be at Baseball America Corporate Headquarters, and we can ship it right out to you. That's going to be exciting if that happens. Uh, if we get it in here next week, that, that would seem like the earliest ever. I know we came close to having it that early last year. but I believe this will be the earliest ever. So People keep clamoring for it. We keep trying to do it better and faster and stronger for them. Hopefully that's working out. I think so, but we, I think it's uh, our best handbook ever, um, as they all are. Uh, everyone seems to get a little bit better. I think this one hopefully will be the most meticulously proofed handbook ever. We really had all hands on deck to get this book out, and yeah, everybody even, looked at it. Even still, when I flip through the the prospect handbook notebook, I still find things that if we had more time, we could have fixed, but... There's just so, so much in a prospect handbook. All of our books, all of our issues, everything we do is stuffed with as much information as it can contain. It's all, it's all chock full of something. But the prospect handbook in particular, I mean, you're talking about 30, roughly 200-word essays. Yes. Players for every organization, plus an introduction, sort of an overview of where the team has been, where the team's going. Plus all those stats. A page of analysis for its drafts. To, yeah, a page of charts for every team. All the guys' career stats. Just amazing. It's, it's donkey. <laughs> There's a whole lot of stuff in there. So it's definitely, I think, the book that best represents us. It's uh, the most copied uh, but never duplicated prospect handbook. So we hope if you're thinking, in, if, you, if you like us enough to download the podcast, we hope you... Uh, come to BaseballAmerica.com and buy the book if you haven't already done so. And if you do that, again, those uh, those are coming into the office next week. And Will and I both, uh, we wrote, uh, I guess, one-sixth of that book combined with uh, three organizations for me, Minnesota, New York Yankees, New York Mets, uh, and Will with the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. So Will's 
dominating the front of the book. I, I am the alphabet. And I'm dominating the middle of the book. It's like 90 straight pages of me in the middle I of that book. Very, uh, dominant in the back of the book. That's right. Seattle and Toronto. C- San Diego, Seattle, and San Toronto. Diego, he right. is uh, concentrated toward the back. It's funny how that works. Um, we sprinkle a little Jim Callis and, and Chris Klein out there throughout the book as well. But uh, Will's done the Orioles. How many years in a row now have you done the Orioles top ten? Oh, like 13? Gosh, ever since Keith Reed was a prospect. For that <laughs> so at least since 1999. I've ranked a lot of – oh, looking back at their top prospects of the decade, I'm not sure if I was the one who got to rank Ryan Miner number one way back in 1998, but I may have. I think that was you. Uh, definitely, definitely did Matt Riley, Keith Reed, Richard Stahl, Eric Bedard, Adam Lowen, Mark Apis twice in role. Um, I think James Bailey may have been thrown in for a couple of those years. But, yeah, definitely wow. for the last decade, pretty much. That's crazy. That, that's a long time to do a bad organization. How many times can you write the overview? Is this finally when they turn things around? Yeah, um, uh, that is pretty much how it's been for the last decade or so. Ever since that last playoff appearance, there have been different Different little efforts to try to get things pointed back in the right direction. I actually think things could could be moving that way now with Andy McPhail back in charge. They're kind of in charge, back in charge of a major league organization, and supposedly is not going to have his decisions meddled with. That's the whole key, it seems like, because really, as long as Angelos is in charge, uh, they haven't. They've had a lot of five-year plans that haven't worked. So that's. It just seems very, very curious that they have never really been able to make any headway. There's never been a whole lot of depth to their farm system in any of these years, has there? Uh, It's sort of been up and down, and one of the worst things I think that happened to them is when Sid Thrift did ostensibly tear everything down to build everything back up, and the trades he made just didn't bring in as much talent as I think the organization would have hoped for at the time. Yeah, Leslie Brea didn't exactly work out. Right. Luis Rivera or those kind of guys. A lot of, a lot of that type of player. Now Andy McPhail seems to be pointing in that direction again to take all his pieces of value, all his major league players of value, and trade them for, for prospects. The deals we've heard rumored seem to indicate they would bring in better talent than, than happened the, the last time around, but none of those deals have come through so far, so... We'll see if any of that pans out. Eric, you know, it's going to be a long year in Baltimore anyway, I think. To do it without Eric Bedard or Brian Roberts or guys like that, uh, it's going to make it even a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, to me, I understand why they might trade Brian Roberts. You can find a second baseman. I don't understand why they're in this off-fired hurry to, uh, you know, trade Eric Bedard. Yeah, That's hard to find. He's trading Dan Heron. Uh, when a guy's... In his cost-effective years, sure you can get you can get something for him, but I mean Bedard and Heron are pretty much proven major league quantities at this point. I know you're probably not going to win this year, but who's to say you're not going to win next year? Yeah, I mean, how hard is it to turn this stuff around? Really, I don't think it's that hard. Yeah, uh, I think you can. Even in that division, even in the American League, I mean, the Tigers were awful one year, and then all of a sudden they're in the World Series. Um, Jim Leland turned things around. Certainly talent did, too, but I don't see how the Orioles... I mean, to me, Eric Bedard has such significant value as a potential number one guy and as a left-handed pitcher, a left-handed ace who can shove it against 
David Ortiz and other leagues. If you trade him for in the minor leagues, you can say, I'm sure he's going to be as good as Eric Bedard. There are a lot of guys who could be that good, but. And maybe Adam Lillen will be that good. But, boy, he we've, we've hoped he would be that good for a while, and so have the Orioles, and it hasn't quite worked out. And that was 2003 when he signed. So, I, I'm, now where do we rank the Orioles system this year, Will? Um, you have our org rankings right there, don't you? Uh, it was middle of the pack somewhere. I think, I'm thinking like 15 or so. 16. 16. So the year, last year, coming into 2007, they were 17. Right. Previously 12, yeah. 25, 19, 30, and 29. It just now That's when things were really desperate going back, say, five years or so, and they were not good in the big leagues, and their farm system was very thin. Now I think their farm system at least has some depth. They still don't have enough potential stars. Right. Their number one guy this year, Matt Wieters, I think, is a potential star. Right. He's the kind of player they need more of. But, yeah, it's definitely still a middle-of-the-pack system, but better than it was three or four or five years ago. Yeah, I think they're drafting better. I still think they're, they're just building from nothing with Joe Jordan's drafts. They're building from just a few years where when Tony Demacio was scouting director and, and they were getting meddled with by, uh, you know, Peter Angelos. Like right now, I'm not saying he would have been ready but that 2004 or yeah 2004 draft where they blew the first round pick on Wade Townsend and didn't sign him, and they wanted to take Chris Nelson. Maybe Chris Nelson could be the shortstop. Maybe he'd be right. force fed the job right now, and Miguel Tejada has just been traded. Yeah, right now, their shortstops are Luis Hernandez and Brendan Fahey. Right. That's as far from championship <laughs> caliber shortstop as you get. Yeah, I think we broke a uh, prospect handbook. Dictum. If, if it's a rule, but. In, traditionally, if you've been in one of our future lineups, our projected four years down the road lineup, you always get a spot in the top 30 if you're prospect eligible. And this year, Luis Hernandez was our projected 2011 Orioles shortstop simply because there's no nobody else to pick ahead of him. But uh, we did not put him in the Orioles top 30. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it is amazing that... Uh, <laughs> They just don't have anybody. They try. I understand why they traded Tejada, but they really don't have anyone even to take his place. Like you know, it would have made sense for them to sign Adam Everett. Uh, they didn't yeah, do that. Would've. That would have been a great. He's the definition of a stopgap shortstop. Uh, but they don't even have that. That Wade Townsend pick in two thousand four. That is just a disastrous pick for the organization. That's a disastrous draft because they didn't have a second rounder. And their third rounder was Jeff Fiorentino, who they just designated for assignment so they could get Chris Robertson, and they lost him, I believe, to the Mariners. Um, maybe it wasn't the Mariners. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they definitely lost him. And then they they got Marquecas the year before that, and they got Lowen the year before that, just barely. You know, they, they very nearly lost Lowen, signed him at the last minute. It was the Reds, actually, who got uh, right. Jeff Fiorentino. And then before that, Chris Smith Ooh. was... Shudder. That's a, as bad a first-round pick as you can make. Bo Hale didn't work out because he got hurt. Mike Paradise just ended up not being very good. Goo. Rick Elder before that. I but also in 99, they also had lots of extra picks. Yeah. And, and Brian Roberts was the only one that worked out. Yeah. Because Keith Reed didn't work out. Paradise didn't work out. Uh, there was some Larry call. Higby, I think, was the closest. Yeah. Another guy who worked Yeah. And a guy who, uh, well, anyway, we won't even go to the Mitchell Report. But uh, the Orioles have their issues, and that's not news to Orioles fans. But I'm actually less optimistic. They just you know, they just have 
they're just starting over again. I mean, they're just, it's just so disappointing that basically Peter Angels has turned them into the Pirates, a, pro, a, a, a franchise with a great ballpark and very little chance of winning and a now an ingrained tradition of losing and a glorious past. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's turned them into, and that is and that horrendous. And the analogy works for the last decade or so also because you have these sort of half-hearted rebuilding efforts while you're still trying to have a good enough major league team that maybe if everything breaks exactly right, right you can win. When I do think what you need to do at some point when you're when you have that culture of losing, when you have a, a bad team, is stop patching and just tear the whole thing down. That's, That's where I see if you're going to do that, why not trade Eric Bedard? Right. And see Maybe. What you can, See what you can do to start it. I can see that. Now that you say, now you put it that way. Really, what they need to do is just to pull a Colonel Henry Blake, just to quote him, and just go, boom. <laughs> and they really need to, boom, blow it up. So I think they're blowing it up. It's the Baseball America podcast. Uh, I'm John Manuel. He's Will Lingo. We had a question from Brian sent into a podcast at baseballamerica.com, and we haven't read an email in a long time, so let's read one. While we're talking uh, American League East prospects, uh, Brian wants to know uh, that he thinks that uh, Jim Callis gave up the Sox 11-15 to 15 prospects in his chat. He thinks that the league is biased against guys who've been playing in the higher levels. There are several players who haven't seen a pro pitch, such as Ryan Dent and, uh, Middle, and Will Middlebrooks, uh, on the list, whereas Jed Lowry outperformed Lars Anderson at higher levels, plays in the middle infield, a better position, and yet ranks behind Lars uh, Anderson. Uh, I'll speak for Jim here, and I think Jim is ridiculously enamored with Lars Anderson. I'm not saying that to criticize Jim. He just loves Lars Anderson. more than others, and he does like Lars Anderson. Right, and Lars Anderson was an 18th-round pick, but he was a supplemental first-round talent. That's where everybody thought he was going to go. He threw out a pretty big number, an experienced agent, scared off some teams, signed. But this is a legitimate talent, not an 18th-round talent. And uh, I would say it doesn't represent a bias against what level you play at. It it's the bias for Lars, Lars Anderson. The ceiling is, and <laughs> yeah. thinks Lars Anderson's ceiling is star first baseman, where Jed Lowry is maybe average a middle infielder. infielder. Right, I mean that's that's exactly what it is. An average big league middle infielder, more likely a second baseman versus a star first baseman. Jim will take the star first baseman. Um, and then you know Dent Middlebrooks, these are million dollar players. This is a very high ceiling. High school players with uh, who in most organizations would be in their top ten. Uh, the Red Sox system is just that good; they did not make the top ten. Yeah, I mean that's a loaded, not just top ten, but top thirty. I mean, you read through the Red Sox list one to thirty, and you'll see legitimate players on every page. Jim, the other question from Brian: uh, He's also interested in Michael Bowden and Chaishun Lin, the Taiwanese outfielder. Despite doing very well in Lancaster, Bowden appears to have fallen from being a number two, number three starter in last year's handbook. To number three slash number four starter would seem that he would that would be because he hit a bump in double A, where he both A wasn't that bad and B was very young for the league. I don't know that Jim actually has dimmed on Bowden as well. Just other people have kind of stepped in front of him. Really, is more what it is. I don't think he banged on Michael Bowden the write up at all, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't remember what last year's write up said. I never thought of Bowden as you know a number one type guy anyway. Jim definitely describes him as a middle-of-the-rotation workhouse, workhorse kind of guy in this year's book. Uh, and again, ranking number seven in the Red Sox list is 
Certainly no slap at Michael Bowden. Yeah, last year ranked ahead of Dustin Pedroia. I mean, that was a little probably a mistake on our part, frankly. But, I mean, he's still behind Jacoby Osbury and Clay Buckholtz. Uh, I think last year – oh, the thing is, Jim has been writing about Michael Bowden since he was in high school in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, if I trust anybody on Michael Bowden, it's Jim. He's written about him with the Red Sox and in Illinois. Interesting that uh, when the Rangers and the Red Sox did the Eric Gagne trade, Michael Bowden was one of the guys the Rangers could have taken – but they chose Casey Gabbard instead. Which is uh, kind of fascinating. That's uh, that's not a great uh, sign, I don't think, yeah. for uh, for uh, Michael Bowden. But some clubs just don't like uh, you know the arm action, as Jim has described. Uh, and then Lynn uh, was ranked fourth in the Gulf Coast League top ten uh, or top twenty prospects. I don't think they considered him a first round pick because they gave him four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, they gave Will Middlebrooks a million dollars in the fifth round. That helped make up for their not having a first-round pick. Michael Almanzar got more money from the Red Sox internationally. So Chase Lynn was just an example of the Red Sox saying, seeing international talent and going out to get it. I wouldn't say that's who replaced their first-round pick. But they do like him, and it sounds like he's a guy who's got uh, well-rounded ability. Yeah, he's uh, he comes at a number 24 on their list. I hope we're not giving too much away with that information. No, I don't think so. And, uh, yeah, I think it's you know interesting tools, but still – Really early to, to know what you have there. He hit 163 in New York Penn League last year. So, you know, wait till you see him in full season ball to really make a, a full judgment on it. The impressive thing about what he did was uh, here's a five foot nine Asian hitter, but he really hit for power in the Gulf Coast League. Uh, he slugged 457. He had some a lot of extra base hits. I mean, 5'9", 175, I think ranking him 24 as an 18-year-old in the GCL is pretty good. Uh, he listed at 5'9", the... That's what we have him online. Huh, he's listed at 6'1", in the book. Well, I think we had him wrong in the online then. Okay. That's good. I, I'd, I'd much rather go 6'1". That makes <laughs> me like him. That makes him like him. his profile quite a bit. Makes me like him even more, Brian. So, uh, again, Jim wrote the Red Sox. Not me is obviously uh, uh, embodied there. But. And they also have Chi Sin Chang. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. But Me neither. He's a middle infielder that they signed out of Taiwan that's uh, not in the top 30, but also a guy worth keeping an eye on. Well, people seem Taiwanese to... listeners care. No, but we've got a lot I of... actually heard from uh, at least one of them asking about whether he was going to be in the book or not. We have a lot of uh, people who have emailed us about the uh, podcast, and I wish that we were better about reading the questions, so we're going to try very hard to do that better. I think it helps just being at our own computer <laughs> to actually check the email. So, Brian, we thank you for the question. Dan Callahan, Phoebus Apollo, Michael Kilborn, Charles Richter. We've got lots of people who have sent in uh, a lot of uh, emails to us over the podcast all year. Brandon Alleman, uh, a lot of guys who sent in questions to podcasts at baseballamerica.com that we have not gotten to in the past. Uh, I want to thank you for sending those in, and we're going to make a better New Year's, New Year's resolution here on the podcast is to be better about uh, – answering podcast questions. You know, we've talked about how the Orioles are sort of a middle-of-the-pack farm system at this point with some depth but not enough star power up top. Uh, obviously, from us talking about the Red Sox a little bit, you can tell that they're very strong with star power at the top and depth, which is what you look for in the best minor league farm systems. So they're going to rank near the top of our talent rankings. Uh, I think they're number two in the book. Uh, our rankings will change when we come out with – sort of our official list that's in our minor league preview issues. Uh, naturally, it's going to change from the prospect handbook because the A's have pretty much reached right. their entire top ten prospects list. I think we looked back at 
the list that's in the book, I think only like two of those guys we think will be in their top ten that's in the next issue, which is AOS top ten. That makes sense. All the trades they've made. This is about right. So, but the East is loaded with talented organizations. The Yankees, who you've done, I think, are number five in the book, and the Devil Rays are number. Oh, sorry, no more Devil, just Rays. That's right, just Rays. Rays are number one. Number uh, one. The Blue Jays. More toward the, the back end of the list. Yeah, Matt Eddy uh, has the unenviable task of chatting Blue Jays again. And they just Ranking 25th for just, the third year in a row. That's so. just not good. That's every year he's done them. <laughs> so uh, that's just not good. I just don't think the direction of the farm system has been a positive one uh, in the current uh, regime. Uh, in one fact, the, I would advocate regime change. In one Georgia. of the questions I got in my Orioles chat was, do you think the Orioles – Pitching depth in their farm system is as good as the Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, I don't rem- I don't think I said it was, but I, I did mention that I knew that you who did the Yankees list and Jim who did the Red Sox list would definitely put the Red Sox and Yankees ahead. But where would you stack up the Red Sox and Yankees against each other? Well, I think the Red Sox have a little bit more variety in their farm system. That's why I like their system a little bit better than, than uh, New York's. I mean, Boston – has some left-handers. Not, they're not tremendous, but like Chris Johnson's an interesting guy. Dustin Richardson, Richardson's an interesting guy. Um, the Yankees don't have left-handers. Uh, and more importantly, the Red Sox have some, I think, better hitting prospects than New York does. Um, but I think my position on Jabba Chamberlain versus Clay Buckholz is pretty well known. Jim and I disagree about that. I prefer Jabba. My Jim, position on Jabba Chamberlain is well known. I'm not putting down my opponent, but I want to put some, I want to express the differences between us, and they're honest differences. I do have a negative bet on uh, Clay Buckholz. That's right. See on YouTube. Clay Buckholz was at McNeese State <laughs> University when he was arrested. I mean, you know, I could go that route. I'm not going to go negative, though. I'm negative. Uh, I'm sure Jim could easily go negative on Jabba Chamberlain. It's not that hard to go back into his past. Um, but I'll take Jabba uh, at the number one spot. But otherwise, you know, there's no Yankees hitter who's ready to step in and help at the big league level like Jacoby Ellsbury. Right. We might be overrating Jacoby Ellsbury a tad, but I really do think uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, he's slugged like 430, 440 in the minor leagues. He's going to hit for enough power to keep pitchers honest in the major leagues, and he's going to walk, and he's going to steal bases, he's going to get on base, he's going to defend at a premium position. He's going to be a good player in the major leagues. I uh, think the Jacoby Ellsbury profile is also going to become more attractive in the uh, post-Mitchell Report MLB era. I agree. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. to watch. But, you know, New York does not have a prospect who compares, really, in my mind, with Lars Anderson. I don't think they have a guy. They don't even have a Jed Lowry. They don't have a middle-of-the-diamond infielder who can hit and has done it at high levels. And even Jose Tabata, number three, Jose yeah. Tabata and Austin Jackson both have real good upside, but they're yeah. further away. Neither of those guys really played significantly above A ball. I think Jackson played in the Eastern League playoffs in Double A and one game in Triple A, and that's really it. So um, they're good, but they're further away and they're further from their ceilings. So I, I think New York has all kinds of talent and has superior pitching depth to Boston, but that's really about it. And that pitching depth is mostly superior in middle relievers. So I think New York's system is very good. One top five in the game. I think Boston's is slightly better. Um, but you know what? We'll find out over the next few years. Uh, yeah, well, but I think I, I even think New York's offer to Minnesota for Johan Santana, I just thought the guy with the Boston Herald yesterday was laying out what they believe the offers are from each club, and Boston's offer is the strongest offer. John Lester, Coco Crisp, Jed Lowry, and Justin Masterson. 
It's a pretty good offer. Mm-hmm. I think all four of those guys are solid big league players. The problem is they're solid. I don't think there's a star in that group. It's an interesting deal. I'm still not sure I would take it if I were the Twins. But. I don't think I would either because, to me, I wouldn't trade Johan Santana unless I get exactly what I want. Right. I wouldn't just trade him for the best deal out there. I'd hold on to him and try to win with him. And the Jim Callis Fantasy League rule, which is never trade the best player in a deal, it's almost impossible not to do that if you're trading Johan Santana, but I would at least want a guy who has the potential to be that kind of player in return. Yeah, I don't know that a team has what they need. They need a shortstop who can hit. Like if the Rockies wanted to trade Troy Tulowitzki, that would make sense. But they're not going to. Um, those guys are so hard to find. But that's really what, in my mind, Minnesota needs the most. Uh, like, if again, if Adam Jones or the Mariners still played shortstop, mm-hmm. that would make sense. If he was a shortstop, if he played some shortstop this past year, that would be the team I think that could land Johan Santana if – they got indications from Johan Santana that he would sign long-term in Seattle. Yeah, because Minnesota's outfield, I think, will actually be okay, and they're obviously set at first base. Because well, in the outfield, they have Dumb and Young, Mike Kadire, Jason Pridey, and um, Jason Kubel. They have four options out there, and I think Jason Pridey, uh, I'm the king of the Jason Pridey fan club, I think he can handle center field for Minnesota. Uh, plus, you have Denard Spann, who at the very least will be a, a good defensive player, a decent defensive player uh, for you in, in 2008 if you need him. Uh, so I don't think they need outfielders. Like, Melky Cabrera, where is he going to play? Yeah. Yeah, is he, I don't know, honestly, that Melky Cabrera is clearly better than Jason Pridey. Jason Pridey has more upside than Melky Cabrera. He has more power. Plus, He's a better they're runner. Gonna play, they're going to play young in center and Kadire in right. It's left field. Very possible, yeah. It's left field where, you know, it's a little more nebulous because I think Kubel is best suited as a DH. Right. Um, I agree. But they're infield. It's needs help. Right now, their infield is, besides Justin Morneau, is like Brendan Harris slash Nick Punto at mm-hmm. second, uh, yeah, slash Alexi Casilla. Shortstop's Adam Everett slash Alexi Casilla. Third base is Brendan Harris slash Brian Busher slash Mike Lamb. There's a lot of room for improvement on that infield. So if you That's had a, a great back, group of backup infield. Yeah, so if you had a great hitting third baseman, uh, that would help. But it better, yeah, it would be an Adam Jones who still played shortstop. Mm-hmm. A guy who had upside. And if Adam Jones struck out a lot and he only hit 260, but hit 25 home runs and played a good shortstop, boy, that would be perfect for the Twins, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would make them such a better team. So they really, you know, if the Twins think Jed Lowry can play shortstop, they kind of have to make that trade, if my, in my mind, if they think he can play shortstop. But I think they, if they thought that, they would have made the trade already. Yeah. So I think that t- you know, tells you those players are just hard to find. So, I, again, uh we haven't even, we're 26 minutes in, and we haven't even talked about the Yankees' top 10, which is an outrage. Well, but, uh, we've touched on it briefly. Suffice it to say, it's the best the Yankees' farm system has been in years. Uh, ranks fifth this year, was seventh last year. This is either the third or fourth year I've done Yankees' prospects, um, and they've gone 24-17-7-5. So the bad old days when they had, like, Eric Duncan, Melky, Cano, Wong, and then, like, nothing else in their system, really. Uh, a lot of fringy guys are, are gone. And right now, you know, Robbie Cano has outperformed expectations. Chimming Wong has kind of outperformed expectations, but he's mainly that's because he stayed healthy. Everyone thought that he could be very, very good, but he had two shoulder problems in the minor leagues, and that's why he only ranked 10th the last year before he got into the major leagues. Uh, but Robbie Cano has been better than advertised. Uh, I think the Yankees knew he could be good, but I don't even think the Yankees thought he would be this good of a hitter in the big leagues. Uh, but then Melky Cabrera last year basically was what we thought he would be. Uh, 
average player. Mm-hmm. Average in a lot of ways. And that's good. There's there's something there's value to being major league average. But the Yankees aren't used to major league average center fielders. They're used to star center fielders and, and that's not Melky. Um so we'll see. Uh pretty it would have been very interesting to see what we would have done with the Yankees if Jabba Chamberlain were not eligible to be the number one prospect. Because I think I almost might have felt more comfortable with Ian Kennedy as a sure thing number one over Jackson and yeah, Tabata. But but Jackson and Tabata have such upside, I thought they have more upside than Ian Kennedy, so they had to rank ahead of Ian Kennedy. Yeah, it's interesting how different spots on the list sort of right. have different personalities. It's a lot easier to rank a guy two or three than it is to rank a guy number one. There's a big a big jump to number one. It's all, and it's also, you know, the end spots like number 10 when you're doing the top 10 or number 30 when you're doing the top 30. Right. There's always a guy, you know, an upside guy or... You know, some crazy comeback guy that you want to slide on the end. Of yeah, the exactly. Place. We should see if we could get uh, Billy Joel to record "Upside Guy" as a follow-up <laughs> to "Uptown Girls." Jim Callis's column in the uh, current issue, which will be online next week, um, is about the number different number thirty guys who have appeared in the prospect handbook over the years, and it's pretty interesting. You get your Josh Hamilton great stories, but then the Tone Nash type guys. Um, I think there's just one Tony Ash type guy to be honest with you. <laughs> but the guys who are who have great stories. John um, Wesley. Did he mention him in his column? I don't think he did. I wrote about uh, 350 words on John Wesley as your Blue Jays number 31. I know you'll be able to call this name because for some reason it slipped out of my mind. The guy who I got on the back end of the Brewers list at number 30. Bucky Jacobson? No. <laughs> Although I, I did that one year, too. But this is an indie league guy who actually ended up playing in the big leagues, and I can't believe I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, a pizza the left-handed hitter? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, gosh, what is his name? Jim Rushford. There you go. Jim gosh, Rushford. I can't I can't he was number 30 for them one year? I think so. It's cool. He did play in the I big leagues. the Brewers list. But, yeah, sliding in guys like that is part of what makes doing the handbook fun. And, I mean, the first-year handbook. about the, the super premium guy. The first-year handbook, as we were honing our prospect ranking uh, systems and devices and methodology and hoy hoy, uh, Jim had Freddie Sanchez number thirty in the Red Sox right, system. He was definitely mentioned in that column. And that's one of the best number thirties probably ever. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a guy who legitimately became. But here's his first book. Here's the Orioles list that year. I'm poo pooing the Orioles. He had Keith Reed, a, a brutal top ten of Reed, Stahl, Ed Rogers, Dungiddy, Rivera, Hale. Matt Riley, Ryan Colmeyer, Octavio Martinez. But then, number 10, Brian Roberts. Number 11, Jake Gibbons. Who does not want to wear the Gibbons? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but then 19, Eric Bedard. 20, Josh Towers. 29, Jorge Julio. Number 26, Willie Harris. It wasn't a bad organization. It was just a horribly ranked race. <laughs> uh, we were just, you know, here's 29, the first Indians year. Ryan Church. That guy's had a pretty nice big league career. Number 24 in the Reds, Brady Clark. I mean, nice. that's why we go 30 deep because uh, and they're guys who aren't consensus guys that uh, need to be in the book, and it's good to have them in the book. Then you have a bad system like the Brewers that year. Had Ben Sheets and then nobody. Bucky Jacobson at 30. Might be the second best player on that list. Oh, I guess third best player because Will Hall is number 21. <laughs> and that's the thing is that Will Hall, alias Bill Hall, alias Jack, alias Jackie, was actually uh, number 21 despite having just an awful, awful statistical year. How about we ranked him after he hit 262 with 30 doubles, three home runs, 18 walks, and 127 strikeouts. So more than 100 more strikeouts than walks, and that guy's become a productive big league player. Uh, 
I'm going to guess that his Pocota forecast that year was not that strong. And now it might be moving to third base for the Brewers if they, in fact, sign Mike Cameron. Yes, well, then they would, uh, I guess, be moving uh, Brian Braun to the outfield where he belongs. (laughs) That's right. So, uh, Oh, it's good to be back with the podcast. (laughs) It's a bit of fun podcast. Uh, I think we're going to sign off once again. That email address is podcast at baseballamerica.com. We encourage you to send in your podcast uh, questions. We'll read it next week in the Baseball America podcast. For Will Lingo, I'm John Manuel. Until next week, so long, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.